Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and look at verse 18 with me. And then put your finger in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, okay? We are bringing to a close our series on grace this morning. And it's been some weeks since we've been studying this subject, and I've tried to look at it from every possible angle and application that I can think of, and I'm running out of ideas. <laughs> so it must mean we're bringing it to a close. How can you exhaust grace, huh? It shows you how finite, limited we are, and we know that God's grace is infinite, isn't it? And uh, Lord willing, after the first year, we're going to begin our study through the Bible. We're going to start in the book of Genesis. And we are going to work our way through the Bible, book after book after book. I have no idea how long it's going to take us. I have no idea how I'm even going to do it. I'm still praying about that, so you might pray for me, okay? Look with me at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Read this with me. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're going to begin to unpack that verse and we're going to look at the things that Paul tells us there. The idea is Paul is saying the same thing that Peter told us. Peter says, grow in grace. Paul tells us that we are being transformed. There's a a part that we play. There's a part that God plays, if you will. Last week, we talked about this idea of growing in grace, and I I suggested to you that there are three elements that are essential if, in fact, we are to grow in grace. It's one thing to, to listen to Peter's words, grow in grace, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But great, how? How do I do that? And there are three simple dynamics that I outlined last week and we explored in some detail. And they are, first of all, that you must expose yourself. Expose myself to grace. Expose myself in all the arenas that God provides, i.e. through the Bible. Expose myself to Jesus. Expose myself to Christ through the body. Expose myself in fellowship. There's a number of avenues whereby I expose myself to God's grace. You can't isolate yourself. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not spending time in fellowship, if you're not giving your life away, you're not, quite frankly, exposing yourself to the grace of God. Secondly, not only must I expose myself, I must must take God's grace in. I must appropriate it. I must make it mine. I believe what I read, and as I believe it, I take that in. This is mine. I believe, God, that you love me. I believe that you have saved me, Jesus. I believe that you're the only way. You appropriate that. You make that yours, the truth. And thirdly, uh, and this is just as essential as the first two, we, if we're going to grow in grace, we must pass it on. We must express grace, express it in our life, how we live, in our language, express it as we share with other people, uh, the hope that we have in us. There's a number of ways in which we express it. So those three dynamics are essential if, in fact, we are to grow in grace. Expose myself, appropriate it, and then express it, right? We talked about that last week. Now, 
what's important to know is that you only need to do that once or twice in your life. No. We need to do it, what, continually. I've got to, I, I don't know about you, but, but grace runs out of me pretty quick. And I've got to be continually filling up my grace tanks. I've got to do it every day. I'm, I'm always, always being reminded of the, my need to grow in grace. So I've got to continually be exposing myself, continually be believing and appropriating, continually expressing God's grace. And as I do so, over and over and over again, a miraculous transformation happens in my life. A miraculous transformation. And this transformation, we are being conformed, Paul says in Romans 8, conformed to the image of his Son. Here in in this Corinthians passage, we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory to his likeness. God is making us more and more like him. Now, why is he doing that? If you remember way back in the beginning, we were created in the image of God. Isn't that true? And then something happened to us. What happened to us? We fell. We fell from perfection to imperfection. Uh, the image of God was, was terribly, terribly defaced and damaged, uh, recorded in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis. And as a result, we've had, we've had uh, alienation from God. We've not had fellowship with God. We've been, uh, uh, we're, we're imperfect in so many ways. And God wants to restore that image so that we can once again have perfect fellowship with him. This is what the whole thing is all about. It's not that he just saved me from hell. No, he wants me. He wants to be in relationship with me, and he wants me to enjoy perfect relationship with him. We are are built for, we are created for relationships, aren't we? I mean, none of us, none of us, though we may try sometimes, and, and we fight relationship, we say, well, I don't need you, I don't need these people, I don't need this. We do need each other. We're built for it. We have this kind of love-hate thing with relationships. And the greatest relationship we need is with God. And he wants it with us. I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind. He wants to have a relationship with me. My, my, my. So he's, he's changing me. He's transforming me, and he does so by his grace, and it is the work of his Spirit that makes that transformation occur. Again, he says that we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory. He says, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's the Holy Spirit who does it. In Galatians chapter 5, you recall verse 22? Paul talks in that passage about the fruit of the Spirit. Do you remember that? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love is kind of the overarching uh, uh, fruit and, and encompasses joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Doesn't it? How many people would like to be more loving? I mean, Alan made us sing that song. I, I just gag on it every time I sing it. I got joy, joy, joy in my heart, you know. Sometimes I don't have joy in my heart. I sing that song, I go, hypocrite. You know, I got love like an ocean. How many have love like an ocean this morning? (laughs) I need more love. (laughs) What am I saying? I'm just suggesting to you that the work of the Spirit in my life as I continue... See, this brings us face-to-face with our continual need for His grace, huh? 
And if I'm not exposing myself, if I'm not appropriating, if I'm not learning to express it, I'm not going to grow in grace, and I'm not going to be able to sing that song with any kind of credibility. The fruit of the Spirit. Paul says these things characterize. These are the qualities that characterize this transformed life. How do I know I'm being changed? Because I'm more loving. Not because I'm more pious. Not because I'm more spiritual. How do I know I'm being changed? Because I have more joy in my life. And I'm not having to crank it up. I'm going to be joyful today if it kills me. It may if you try that way. Peace. It's lots of peace. How many want to be more patient? You get the idea, right? The fruit is not the result of you and I trying to generate it. It just is not. I have this apricot tree in my backyard. Julie and I have lived in this house for, I don't know, 20 plus years. And I think my parents, it was my parents' house before we bought it from them, and I think my dad planted this apricot tree. As long as we've lived there, the most number of apricots I've had is five on this tree. <laughs> Takes up the entire backyard, practically. Those of you who've been to our house, you know what I'm talking about. Every year, and I like apricots, so every year I'm thinking, maybe this year we'll get apricots. Maybe this year. And I look, you know, and when the, when the tree starts putting out blossoms and leaves and stuff, and I look, there's just maybe a blossom here and a blossom there. And, I'm, and, and you know, I'm praying that I can get to the apricot before the bird does. <laughs> Those of you that have fruit trees, you know what I'm talking about. So one day... A couple of years ago, I, I was browsing through Home Depot. Anybody ever do that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can get lost there, just browsing, right? Spend a whole day there. We can get lost for a weekend there. <laughs> I was browsing through Home Depot, and I was going through the garden department, and I'm just looking at the, all the different products and stuff, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, I wonder if they have something for fruit trees. And so I asked the guy, and he says, yeah, and he showed me that I got this, this special food for fruit trees. Now, I'm not a horticulturist. I'm not a gardener. I don't do all that stuff. And so I thought, okay. I said, well, how do you use this? And he said, well, it's right on the bag. It tells you how to do it. <laughs> Helpful clerk. <laughs> so I bought the bag of stuff. I took it home, and I read the instructions. It said just sprinkle it around the tree, not its base, but where the, le- you know, where the branches go out the furthest because that's where the root systems apparently go out to. So I did. I, I opened the bag and sprinkled it around the tree. Forgot all about it. Watered it. And then the spring comes, you know, when the fruit starts coming out. And I couldn't believe it. The whole tree was covered with blossoms. I, I, I said, Julie, look at this tree. Look at the blossoms on this tree. We're going to have apricots. We had more apricots. I got, the thing was loaded with apricots. Now, what am I saying? All that to say this. I exposed the tree to some food. The tree didn't have to go... <coughs> grunt and groan to get the fruit out. Not at all. Not at all. See, the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the wonder of God's gracious love. And when grace touches your heart, that new life simply grows supernaturally, freely, and sweetly. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Just like fruit just naturally appears on the trees when you feed it. It's just like your life is barren. There's no fruit. What do you need to do? You need to expose yourself. You need to get some food, some fruit, some... Stop it. You know what I'm talking about, right? In Romans chapter 8, verse 4, Paul says it this way. He tells us that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who live according to the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to live according to the Spirit? The very same thing I'm talking about, growing in grace. The only way you know that you're living according to the Spirit is you're growing in grace. The only way that you know that you're growing in grace is that you're bearing fruit. See, sometimes people say this, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, is some kind of a, ooh, you know, weird thing. No, it's simply, simply, doing what God says. Expose yourself to Him. Expose yourself to the means of grace. Appropriate it. Express it. And you begin to see growth and fruit being born in your life. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I told you to put your finger in that place too, didn't I? Again, notice, notice, notice what he attributes to the Spirit. This is all the work of the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit in you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his, what? Spirit. Spirit in your inner being. That means down in the deepest part of you, the core of your life, where you need strength. That his spirit will do that. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's just another way of saying that you be changed, that you be transformed, that you be more like God. But it all starts but with the work of His Spirit. And it's grace that does this. That's what the Spirit is there to do. Beloved, the Spirit is not here in, in living in me. He's not living in you to nag you and condemn you. God is not the eternal nag. The Spirit is not living in you and I. He is not here to make some kind of spectacular outward demonstration of divine power, though He often will. That's not His primary purpose. The Spirit is not in us just to overwhelm us or to swallow up our individuality. We're not going to become one with the all-nothingness. As the New Age people would like to believe and all of the Eastern mystics would like to believe. They just want to anesthetize themselves. It's all illusion and nothing is real. No, 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 this is all very real. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just swallow up our individuality. He accentuates it. 
He makes us more real in who we are as we become like him. The Holy Spirit is not in us just to administer infusions of divine ecstasy so that we just get the warm fuzzies all the time. No. He's here to reveal to us. He's here to make real to us the glory of the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You and I could not see the glory of God in the face of Christ were it not for the Holy Spirit's work, opening our eyes. That's what he's here for, so that you and I can see. I mean, just think, the first time, the first time you, you saw Jesus, as you, as you opened the word, as you read, as somebody announced to you who Jesus was, I don't know if you can remember, the first time it dawned on you who Jesus is. And it had to take your breath away. You can't just say, ho-hum, ho-hum. No, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to, to the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And then, and then to enable you to believe. It's by faith. And then be remade, transformed, changed more and more into Christ's likeness, again, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, beloved, grace, when answered by faith, produces a transformation. This is the work of the Spirit. Now we need to remember, too, that this change that occurs is a process. It's a process. Paul says we are being changed into God's likeness with ever-increasing glory. Peter says grow in grace. Both of those expressions imply process, do they not? It's a process. It's a process of transformation. It's never fully finished as long as we live here on this earth. Now, certainly, there's a time when we, when we do pass from darkness to light. There's a time when we pass from despair to hope. There's a time when we pass from imprisonment into freedom. But the whole of the promised land is not yet one in a day, is it? There are still giants in the land to fight. There are still cities to take. There remains yet very much land to be possessed. If you can go back to the Old Testament and you know the analogy of Israel taking the promised land. God said, you'll not be able to conquer the land. You're not going to be able to take all the cities all at once. It's going to be a process. It's going to take you some time. He says, but I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to drive your enemies out before you. You just obey me and follow me. The same principle holds true for us as Christians in terms of the, of the land of our life, if you will. To put it another way, we do not become holy like Jesus Christ the moment we believe. We have not yet fully learned to love as we are loved. Think about that. We've not yet attained, but we do press on toward the goal, don't we? See, that's the challenge of the Christian life, is to keep on pressing on, pressing on, realizing I'm in a process. I'm not just sitting around rejoicing in my perfection because I know I'm not perfect. I'm still climbing, but I'm climbing in hope. I have hope. I know that God's at work in me. I know His Spirit lives in me. I have hope. I'm not giving up. There may be times when I fall back. There may be times when I'm slipping. There may be times when I'm just crawling. But I'm doing so in hope. Because I know He's at work. People say, how are you? I say, I'm better. Oh, were you sick? No, I wasn't sick. I'm just better than I was yesterday. 
What do you mean? God's at work in me. He's changing me. I'm better today than I was yesterday. I'm more like Christ today than I was yesterday. And tomorrow, I have something to look forward to tomorrow because tomorrow I'm going to be more like Christ than I am today. See, I have hope. I'm climbing in hope. I'm climbing in hope. This grace, faith, transformation is not an instantaneous event, beloved. It's a continuing process. It has a beginning. It has a beginning. But it's a process. Now think of this relationship with God. Before the relationship began, before the relationship began, was God's love meaningful to you or meaningless? Huh? Was it meaningful or meaningless before, before you had a relationship with God? Meaningless. I could care less. People say, God loves you. Yeah, 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 get out of here. Leave me alone. I could care less that God loved me. I really could. In fact, I ignored God. I ignored him. I hid from him. I rejected him. I don't want anything to do with him. I knew he was there. (laughs) Everybody knows he's there. I don't care. Even the most confirmed atheist. You know, there's no such thing as an atheist. You know that, don't you? They like to think there is, but there's no such thing as an atheist. Everybody knows that there's a God. He's revealed himself to everybody. They know it. They just suppress the truth of it. Paul says through their wickedness. But before, before I knew him, before I had a relationship with him, I could care less. There was no sense of urgency. There was no sense of need. In fact, the moment, the moment I would acknowledge him in any kind of real way, that would be the moment now I'm accountable. Isn't that true? The Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. Why? Because the minute he has to acknowledge there's a God, now he's accountable. And so once I acknowledge him, now, now I can't ignore him, I can't reject him, but now I find myself burdened with a weight of guilt and condemnation that no effort on my part, no assurance on anybody's part can remove from me. I know I'm, I'm guilty. I know I'm a sinner. And no one can say, no, no, it's going to be okay. It's no, it's not going to be okay. I just know it. Am I making sense? Before the relationship, at best, God was a stranger. And at worst, my worst enemy. My worst enemy, the ultimate enemy. And there was no way that we could love him. No way. His very presence was convicting. His very presence makes it impossible to love either ourselves or to love one another. Why? Because we see ourselves as we really are despicable. How can you love a despicable thing? Yourself or somebody else. When you see them in the context of God's grace and presence and love. And then after all that, the meaning now of His grace dawns on us. No relationship. And then suddenly one day, one day his grace appears. The meaning of his grace dawns on us and we find that he's not what we had thought. 
No, he's not at all. We look for judgment, but we found love. A love that could give all, indeed, a love that surrendered its own very own lifeblood that you and I might live, right? And having seen that gracious love, having begun to understand it and having believed in it, we begin to go through this change. We begin to be transformed. God's love has touched our heart. We pass from condemnation to acceptance now. We pass from fear to favor, from law to grace, from death to life. Love has reached down and touched us, and never, ever will you ever be the same once love has touched your heart. By its very sweetness, isn't love a sweet thing? It's a beautiful thing. By its very sweetness, it has awakened an answering love in our hearts. John says we love because he first loved us. It takes someone loving me to awaken in me a love back. I just finished reading a a marvelous book for men. Very, very insightful. And uh, there's one section where where the author writes about how how a man rescues a woman. It's, it's absolutely dramatic. It's marvelous. But he talks about how when a man understands a woman and loves her, and the Bible says love, husbands love your wives, how he loves her when his love touches her heart in such a way that she believes it how her life opens up and blossoms like a flower. Miraculous. It's the same thing for us when God's love touches our heart and we believe it. He changes us. And at that point, beloved, we have, in Jesus' words, been born again. Been born again. We have become a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. But the important thing is the fact that it is grace that initiates and grace that causes this change, this new birth. It is the grace of God touching my heart, touching my life. It transforms me. Peter puts it this way, 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, We have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Then he adds this. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now, what word is he talking about? He's talking about the good news, the message of God's what? Grace. That's what causes us to be born again. That's what this imperishable seed is. It's the message of his grace. And Paul tells us again in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, this is marvelous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It's a new life. A whole new hope. A whole new future has been opened up to us. Everything that we long for, everything that we hope for, everything that we've been designed for, now is open before us. The old has passed away. The new has come. And then he goes on in the next two verses 
in verses 18 and 19 of 2 Corinthians 5. Write those verses down. Look them up later. He says, then he, then he goes on and he says, from first to last, this has been the work of God. This has been the work of God who reconciled us to himself, not counting our sins against us. Oh, my. Again, it's grace. And that's a perfect description of it. In Ephesians chapter 2, the first nine verses of that marvelous chapter, Paul tells us that we were once dead in our sins, but now we have been made alive by grace. It's by grace. It's this miraculous grace of God that brings us from death to life. And it does it every time. Every time. You can absolutely count on it. You can absolutely count on it. You know what's the old saying? You catch more flies with vinegar than you do with honey. Right? Does the principle hold true? Something sweet attracts us. The grace of God is miraculous. It's not critical. It's not judgmental. Every time grace does it, you can just count on it. When a person sees God's grace for the first time, and when they believe it, they're changed. They're changed. And this change, remember now, is not always manifested in the same way in every person. So we don't have a, a cookie-cutter kind of a thing. God works mar- marvelously, and, uh, and he has a tremendous, tremendous variety to his creation, doesn't he? I mean, some people are changed instantaneously. Some people are changed powerfully. Uh, you have Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, one minute, he's persecuting the church. He's breathing out threatenings. He's chasing down believers. He's having them imprisoned. They're being executed. They're being killed for heresy, for blasphemy. And then the next minute you read that he's praying to, to Christ, that he's believing that Christ is the Lord. He's calling Jesus Lord. A week after that, he's convincing the Jews in the temple, in the synagogues, that what? That Jesus is the Christ. That's a powerful conversion, powerful transformation. And yet for another person... The emergence of this new life may be totally different. Not powerful, not miraculous in terms of instantaneous like Saul's experience was. But rather, maybe it's like a long underground germinating process. Just moving almost imperceptibly into a a quiet kind of sprouting forth of a new faith and a new way of life. I've, I've talked to people over the years who come to our church who will sit and sit and sit and listen and listen. And I just kind of try to get to know them and interview them a little bit and talk to them and find out where they are spiritually. And, and eventually I'll ask them, say, now when did you become a Christian? Oh, I'm not a Christian. You don't believe? No. Not yet. Why? I don't know. So how long have you been coming? Well, a while. Why do you come? I just like it. You like it? You don't believe? Yeah. Now, that used, to, that used to be a source of some consternation to me, but then I began to realize that, that God is at work. God is at work. 
And he's, 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 just, he's doing an underground work. I can't see it, but all I can see is that they're just, they just, why do you come? Well, I just, I just like it. I just come. I said, okay. You know, if I give an give a invitation or altar call or something, and I just watch if they're there, I say, did the hand go up? No, not yet. All I'm suggesting is that, is that God does this transforming work differently for different people. It's not always the same. One person may be able to point to the very day and the very hour when they, when they believed, when that new life began, but another cannot. Someone will say, you know what, all I know is that I was once blind, now I see. May not even, even clearly remember the time when they didn't love Jesus. And, and many of our young people who've grown up in the, in the, in the church and grown up in our, in our, in our families here, even my own son, he, he can't even remember a day when he didn't believe. He says, Dad, I don't have a testimony. I said, you have the best testimony. You know, he thinks that you have to have a ragged, ugly, horrible past like me before you can have a testimony. No, no, you have the best testimony. He says, but I can't remember, I can't remember when it all started. It, it just started. I can't remember a day when I didn't love the Lord. The main thing is you do. You see? God works differently in all of us. But regardless of how, how that new life has begun, we fundamentally have Jesus' words that it, that it must begin. You must be born again, right? Regardless of it was slow or sudden, we must be born again. And this is what God wants to do for us. Very simply, this is what God wants to do for us. He is in the business of creating new people. He's in the business of giving new life. New life. He's in the business of setting people free. Breaking us out of prison and giving us hope. That's what he's doing. Of transforming us through his grace. You look into your life and, and, and we see areas in our life. And sometimes we have blind spots that we don't see. But we can guarantee that there are areas in our life that we still need, yet need to be set free from, aren't there? But I have hope. You know, people say, well, I'm working on, I'm working on myself. I, no, no, no. That's God's job. That's God's job to work on you. It's your job to trust Him. It's your job to expose yourself to His grace. It's your job to appropriate His grace because it's His work in you that brings the change. Tell your therapist that. <laughs> well, I have to do my work. I have, to, I have to make these changes. No, no, you can't. The message of the Bible, God's word to us is, I change you. You trust me. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's that simple. But you know, in our pride, we just get so determined. No, I've got to do this. You can't do it. And sometimes God lets you just spin your wheels and spin your wheels and spin your wheels and spin your wheels and spin your wheels until you get so exhausted, you just run out of gas and finally say, I give. Anybody ever been there? It takes time to develop, beloved. It takes time to mature. 
this recreating, this transformation begins when we first see the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That's why I said expose yourself to Jesus. Expose yourself to Jesus. Read those Gospels. Read them. Read them again and again and again. Read them slowly. Read them thoughtfully. And read them out loud. Listen to Jesus. Watch him. Let him touch your life. And then you open your heart to trust him. He'll make the change. And that change is not instantaneous in terms of the the whole part of your life. But you'll be born again and you'll see that you've done an about face. Life will never be the same again. But now come the years of patient growth. I'm saved! All right, now it just starts. Now become, come the years of, of slow and patient growth. How many are excited about the, the prospect of slow, patient growth? We want to hurry up, hurry up, because we live in this, what, instant culture, instant society. I want it now, I want it now. And we grow impatient, and we grow impatient. When things aren't happening fast enough for us, we opt out. No, it's trust. God, I know you're at work in me. I know you're at work in me. I know that you know what's best. I know that you know what you're doing in my life. I'm just going to keep trusting you. I'm going to keep exposing myself to you and to your means of grace. You see, this transformation does not happen all at once. It keeps on and on and on. We have not yet arrived. We are not yet in his likeness. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. Nor will we be until we see him face to face. We're not already perfect, but Paul says we press on. I'm keeping on. There's not yet, there's not one of us to whom Peter does not need to say grow in grace. Isn't that true? All of us still yet need to grow. There's no point in this life at which we no longer have any further degrees of glory to realize in this transformation process. All of us still need to realize this transformation. Why? Why is this so? Simply because we've not yet discovered all that God is. The inexhaustible God. I believe that even in eternity, we're still not going to be able to exhaust our knowledge of who he is. I love that. It's going to be continual growth, continual growth in wisdom and insight and understanding, even though we're perfect, even in eternity. You can't exhaust the inexhaustible God. We haven't yet discovered all that he is and all that his grace can mean for the changing of our hearts and lives. We do not yet see him as he really is. We do not yet know the full wonder of his graciousness. And so the unconquered territory in our lives yet remains. Now we see but a poor reflection, Paul says. Say, what does he mean by that? Our lives reflect his glory only dimly. Only dimly. We made one discovery of his grace yesterday. Look into your life and and say, you know, I discovered more of God's grace yesterday. And what's the result of that? It changed you a little. It changed you a little. And then today you see him a little bit more clearly than you did yesterday. And his grace changes you a little bit more. 
You find that to be true as you expose yourself, as you appropriate it. Someday we will see him. Someday we'll see him clearly. The Bible says someday there will not be some obscuring veil between us. There'll be no mist of ignorance. There'll be no cloud of misunderstanding, no fog of unbelief to cloud our vision of him, our, our sight of him. But when that day comes, we will know, we will know that we shall be like him. John says, what we will be like has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Whoo! That's it. That's it. In an instant, in a heartbeat, when he appears or when I go to stand before him, I will be changed immediately in the blazing splendor of the full sight of what he is. All of a sudden, everything else falls off. Just standing in front of him, I'll realize I'm there. I'm there. And beloved, all of that, that'll just be enough to make all the, all the old rags of our imperfections, all the old rags of our sin, all the old rags of our inadequacies, our insecurities, our fears, drop off like an old robe. And we'll be changed totally. But that's then. What about now? Oh yes, now. Oh yes, the long, seemingly endless upward climb of a lifetime learning to know and appropriate His grace. That's where we are now, amen? That's where we press on. That's why we persevere. Jesus said, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. We keep on. We keep on in hope. God, your grace is present. All it remains is me to expose myself, me to appropriate, me to believe. You'll change me. You will change me. You're going to make me more like you every single day. Here a little. There a little. Now crawling, now slipping. Making great leaps at times. But always making new discoveries about him. Always. So that as we behold him... We can be changed ever more into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. God is at work. And this is the life to which the Holy Spirit calls us. This is what the Holy Spirit calls us to. Come on. He says, come on. Come on. Come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. Don't quit. Don't give up. I'm at work. Expose yourself to me. Expose yourself to my grace. And as Paul says, he'll strengthen us in our inner being. He'll strengthen us in our inner being. He said, this is the work of the Lord who is the Spirit. And someday, yes, we will be fully like him. Someday. When that day happens, I don't know. But we will see him as he is. We will see him as he is. But for now, for now, beloved, expose yourself to his grace daily. Expose yourself. Is it important to read the Bible? See, it's not just a religious work. This is, this is the word of His grace which can transform you. Expose yourself daily. Open it. Read it. 
recognize, yes, I have flaws, I have weaknesses, I'm, I fail in so many ways. I can't do anything about that. Only God can do that. And as I expose myself, I appropriate, I, I make these truths mine. I believe them. And I express them. Pass them on to others. See, it's only in the passing on and the expressing that we really affirm and solidify what we say we believe. Isn't that true? When you hear yourself talking it, or you find yourself living out what you say you've read and you believe, that's what strengthens it in our life. And as you do, as you do these three simple things, you will grow in grace. You will grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You will experience this transformation into his likeness in ever-increasing glory. This is the work of the Lord who is the Spirit. Amen? And that, beloved, brings to a close our series on God's grace. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word and thank you that you love us. Thank you that your purpose for us is magnificent, mighty. Thank you, God, that it's you who do the changes. It's you who's opened our eyes. It's you who, by your grace, transform us. Help us, Lord, to be serious about your call. Help us to not be distracted. Lord, help us to see that the the enemy would like nothing more than to distract us, to discourage us, to defeat us. But as your servant Peter says, that we would resist him, standing firm in the faith, confident in you and in your purpose for our life, that we grow more and more like you. And Lord, the true, the true person that you made us emerges from out of the shadows and out of the fears and out of the insecurities and out of the inadequacies. And the end of it all is that you are glorified, that your creation is restored. God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your great purpose. We look forward to the day when we will see you face to face. But until that time, we walk by faith. We trust you. We trust what you tell us in this book called the Bible, your word. There may be some of you this morning, if you keep your heads bowed for just a moment, some of you this morning that maybe God has touched your heart in a fresh new way. Maybe for the first time, some of you maybe in a renewed kind of a way. You look at your life and you say, you know, I do need to change. I, there, need, there are some areas in my life I have no control over and they're out of control. Maybe you're living in fear. Most of us do. Maybe you're well aware of your inadequacies and they just haunt you or your insecurities. All of that is just a result of our sinful condition, our imperfect condition. God wants to redeem us from all that so that we can know him and love him fully, more and more every day. Some of you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe that's the case this morning. Others of you have professed Christ and and yet your Christian walk is not what, what it ought to be, and you know it, and you've grown weary or simply lazy. 
I want to offer you an opportunity this morning, wherever you find yourself, to say, Lord, I, I, want, to, I want to get on with you here. Renewed commitment to expose yourself to grace, to appropriate it, and to begin to express it. And if that's you in any way, in any, anything that has struck a responsive chord in your heart this morning, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Just a prayer of commitment. And, and I'm going to pray this prayer, but I, I'm not going to pray it by myself. I want to know if there's somebody that wants to pray. And if that's you, then you just signal me while everyone's heads are bowed, just by lifting your hand. You say, Pastor, I want to pray that prayer. I'm ready to get on with it with God. Either for the first time or maybe you've been in the road for a little while, but you've grown weary. Anybody at all? Just lift your hand now. I'm going to make this prayer. Anybody have a felt need to grow in grace? Just lift your hand. I see that hand way back there. I see this hand down here in front. God bless you. These two hands over here. Good. Anybody else? Just lift your hand now. I see your hand over there, sir. God bless you. Right down here on the aisle. Okay, I see that hand. Anybody else? God, speak to your heart today. Respond now. Respond to his offer. Expose yourself. I see your hand too. God bless you, sir. Okay. And back over there, I see your hand too. Good. If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Just a real simple prayer. God, you have talked to my heart today. I know that I need you. And I know that I need to expose myself to you and to your grace. I know I need to make it my own, to believe, to trust you, to take it into my life, to receive it. But not only that, to express it, to live, begin to live it out. But I've heard this morning you'll even supply the, the faith and the power to do that. And you've given me faith this morning just to raise my hand. You've spoken to my heart. I can't deny it. God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the only way. I believe that he died for my sins. I commit my life to him. I want to be more like him. Change me. Take my life, all the mess of it, and make something beautiful out of it. I offer it to you, Lord. Strengthen me with the strength of your spirit as you've said in your word. Strengthen me so I can follow you all the days of my life and continue in this process of transformation. I pray, Lord, that, that truly, that tomorrow I'll be a better person than I am today, that I'll see it and I'll realize it. God, change me. Have your way in me, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. God bless you, those of you who raised your hands. If you raised your hand, I want you to tell somebody right now. Tell somebody, you know, I prayed that prayer with the pastor. Go on record. Tell somebody. Open your mouth express the fact that you exposed yourself to God's grace, you appropriated it, and now you express it. Okay, do that right now. Let's stand together and let's sing about His amazing grace.